0: Hey everyone, welcome to Resilience Unraveled. This podcast is a result of my fascination with subjects like resilience, accountability, burnout, life fulfillment, and other life and work based performance issues, as well as many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, people, and organizations, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories and expertise as well as my own synthesis of the key issues strategies tips tools and resources to thrive in life if you find this podcast useful why not go over to our site qedod.com if you'd like some resources on how to manage beat burnout head to qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 for some goodies stay tuned to the end to find out details of how to order a free ebook enjoy the podcast so today I'm talking to Emma J. Bell and um, Emma and I have bumped into each other um, remotely through a third party actually and in fact someone who's been on the podcast before and um, that person was Mary Shores who came on and did, some really, did a couple of really excellent podcasts and absolutely raved about Emma J. Bell and it's been you know something in my head to, to invite Emma on and then suddenly she appeared from nowhere. So Emma J. Bell, welcome this afternoon.
1: Thank you very much, Russell. It's almost as if it was meant to be.
0: <laughs> ah, don't start talking about the law of intentionality and the spirit of the universe, otherwise, we're done. <laughs> How are you today, anyway?
1: I'm great today, thank you, Russell. Glorious sunshine here in Scotland, so I'm very, very happy.
0: I was going to say, it's unusual to hear a Scottish accent. It's very lovely as well. So tell me where in the world you are.
1: I'm in a beautiful place called North Berwick on the east coast of Scotland with the finest beaches in Scotland and also the driest climate in Scotland. Is it really? Yeah, the driest and the sunniest climate.
0: Is that because you're on the east side so all this, the the, um, the rain's dropped by the time it gets to you?
1: Well a couple of reasons, that is one reason and the other is because it's a very flat part of the country so there isn't anything to cause the rain to break. So it just avoids, the rain just avoids this flat area. Wonderful.
0: Fantastic. There we are doing geography already, who would have thought? Indeed. <laughs> and so um, what would you describe, how would you describe what you do, Emma?
1: Well, I, I think the best thing to, to say is I'm a reformed lawyer. I have to just get, get that out there. And um, these days I spend my time... Writing and coaching, and also training judges on behavioural awareness on the bench.
0: So how do you? So you, how? So that's fascinating. We've had a couple of uh, <laughs> lawyers, lawyers and judges on this program, on this uh, podcast. So I saw more, that. Yeah. Yeah. T- so tell me more about that.
1: Well, for almost twenty years, I was um, a corporate employment lawyer and partner in in that Scotland's biggest law firm. And while I was doing that, I became extremely interested in how to motivate and engage employees in the workplace. So I was an employment lawyer, I understood the law, but that felt very much like the stick and I was interested more in the carrot. And so while I was a partner in a law firm, I set up a whole leadership development programme, having studied the psychology of behaviour, done the qualification and from there trained the employment lawyers in my team to deliver content that we were creating and our clients loved it because they were getting employment lawyers who understood about the legal framework also understanding about the psychology of motivation and how to to lead from a perspective of engaging and motivating staff and as i say i did that for a very long time until around 10 years ago when i resigned as a partner in the law firm to do much more leadership work more coaching work to write my first book and i was also um, a, a part-time employment judge as well, and remain now a part-time employment judge, in fact. And then I got into, I, I thought, well, you know, this this um, self-awareness is really mm. important for a whole number of people, including judges. And one of my passions is that every user of a court or tribunal in the UK should feel like justice has been done. Mm. And as you may know, the research says that that has more to do with the process that people encounter through the court. Yes. than it does with the actual outcome. And um, I'm privileged enough to do a lot of work with judges throughout the UK on um, delivering procedural justice in the courts and tribunals.
0: So it seems, a, it seems a big step from there to where you are today, which is, are you a full-time writer or are you still... Um,
1: yeah, doing... so I spend about half, half my time writing and half my time coaching and speaking. Right. That's essentially... How I spend my, my life
0: now. So, how did you? What what was the what was the motivation to go into the world of writing? Then, because that's that's a that's a particularly tortuous world, isn't it? And one that oh, people I... feel that they're equipped to do, but very few make it, don't they?
1: Oh, we'll see. I love it, Russell. Let me just say for your listeners, if you've ever had to write a lengthy judgment after a twenty-day hearing in court then writing a book is heaven compared to that (laughs) especially when you write a book about a topic such as you know fulfilling your personal potential and resilience uh, a a topic that I'm really passionate about and have been all my life then it's just it's heaven especially if you have a publisher who's you know supporting you all the way and a terrific editor who helps with that so so writing is is just my joy it's my sandpit and the reason why I wrote my first book was because I could only coach one person at a time. Yes. And I wanted to make, and you'll, you'll appreciate, you'll understand that I know with the work that you do. And I was frustrated because I could only have about 20 to 25 coaching clients at any one time and I had a waiting list. And I wanted to put in book form the approach that I was taking to coaching so that it could reach so many more people and that has been, I have to say, I'm very lucky, that's been hugely successful. So that was my motivation for writing my first book.
0: And, and tell me about the first book, what was what was in it, what was it about?
1: Well the first book called The True You and it essentially looks at how we develop conditioning throughout our life and it looks at the neuroplasticity of the brain and how we can change um, the neural networks so that we develop new habits and tell ourselves new and more empowering stories. So I know that lands right in the middle of a lot of what you do. Um, and so that we fulfill our personal potential. Um, and you know I, I that that book I'd very much like to give your listeners a free download of actually if you're listening to this podcast. Um, that's available just now on my website for a short period of time. But that that was my focus and that's very much the basis of my coaching. That people want to change and they believe change is possible then they can change but they really need to understand how their brain works and how it's been wired to produce the thoughts and feelings that they currently have and yes. the steps that they can take to to rewire
0: there's a there's a lot there's a there's a few books that sort of tend to take this approach and i was think i was minded of joe dispenza who's sort of written this oh, yeah. book and uh I mean, have you two bumped into each other? Do you do you, yes, have, yes. you written, have you written independently of each other, or have you sort of lent on each other in any way?
1: Well, written independently of each other, but um, I, uh, you know, I, I I think Joe Dispenza and his scientific approach, you can imagine as a lawyer has a very dominant left brain, mm. um, and so I very much look for logic in the way in which I coach and the way in which I develop my speeches or do my training with the judges so I have to say that's the that's the thing that most attracts me to the work of Joe Dispenza and I've, I've met him a couple of times because he does take a science-based approach to the work that he does largely so uh, that appeals hugely to me and, and, and that's the feedback I've had about my first book actually that it's very logical it's easy to understand and I know that my coaching clients what, once they understand how the brain works they really feel motivated to make the changes because they can see that those will, will, will work.
0: Yeah I very much take the same approach as well I think people need to understand the physiology so they understand actually what to do with it and actually how much your physiology is imp- um, how much your even, Values, your attitudes, your thoughts depend on that sort of small lump of stuff between your ears, and you know, understanding it is the secret to, it. in terms of looking after it, as much as anything else.
1: Mm, I agree. I know, and I know you talk a lot about that. That's why I agree wholeheartedly.
0: So, um so the offer for you to give, uh, give the listeners a free download is great, and I know you will give that information later on. So that's very lovely. So, um and that's that is a genuinely lovely offer because actually, if you go onto Amazon and, and download that you have to pay money for it and it's uh 34 rates 34 um well it's got 34 four and five stars so i mean you know that's pretty good because we all know how ruthless the amazon audience can be so um,
1: well that's on that that's just the uk website it's got a lot of uh, great reviews on the us website as well for amazon so kind of you though to to identify that thank you for that
0: we both knew who are the most discerning audience
1: indeed that's
0: true. <laughs> That's true. So and so you've been involved in a, and another project since then, have you? Is this the fifty thrivers thing? Tell me more about
1: that. Yes. Yeah. So um, this I think has been probably the most impactful piece of work I've done in my life. I travelled over thirty five thousand miles to interview fifty ordinary people like you and I who had faced different kinds of adversity and trauma. But the one thing they all had in common, Russell, is that they were thriving. So we had a psychological definition of thriving, as you would expect. So in the sense that they had bounced forward from the trauma, they hadn't just bounced back. So they had grown as a consequence of the trauma and were living very positive and fulfilled lives despite the trauma and adversity. And the purpose of doing the research was to understand whether they were using the same resilience strategies to thrive, or whether they were doing different resilient, using different resilience strategies, you'll know that there's lots of research that focuses on very similar kinds of adversity, yes. and what strategies can be used to enable people to thrive in the face of that, or maintain resilience in the face of that. But certainly myself and Paul Hannum, who's the psychologist on the project, he and I could not find any research that had been done on drastically different kinds of adversity. So I gave up my salary judicial post um, with its final salary pension scheme and off I went around the world to interview these 50 incredible people and what I found was that there are essentially nine resilient strategies that each of the thrivers consistently credited for their ability to thrive And, and so I started applying them systematically in my own life and I thought I was thriving, but, um, you know, I just can't believe what a difference these things have made to me on an individual level. And then I obviously apply them in my coaching practice as well. So, and they've really helped others.
0: So you found nine strategies, and I'm guessing of those nine, some of those would be most used most frequently and some of those would be most effective. So are you able to give us a bit of a, um, give us a bit of a sense of what those things might have been?
1: Happily, very happily. So um, I think the the one that would serve for most of us as a foundation won't come as any surprise, but that was self-care. But it was a very particular approach to self-care. It's the idea that we deliberately take steps to look after our mental, our physical and our emotional Mm well-being, that we come to life with a very clear view that I matter not I only matter when everything else is done, but, but that I matter and that I matter most in the sense that if I look after my own physical, emotional, and mental well-being, I'm better able to serve others. So that came through very, very strongly in the research. So it's not just about food and exercise and so on. It's about how we think of ourselves, how we accept ourselves, how we set boundaries in relationships. We ask for what we need, the kinds of habits and rituals that we develop in our lives. So, a lot of the thrivers spoke about daily acts of self care, having you know weekly joy rituals, if you like, even if that's just walking the dog uh, through the woods along the beach every week. Um, and I, I, if I may. I'd like to maybe just share a story of a Thriver just to illustrate the point because it's yeah. really the stories that, because sometimes when I talk about this and I, some of your listeners may be feeling this way that, you know, well, that's all very well, but I've got, you know, a job and I've got three kids and I'm completely overwhelmed and how do I do it? And for me, the most powerful thing about my journey around the world and listening to these 50 stories was that, if they can do it given what they face, then then i can do it i can make time for myself um and so the story that one of the stories that springs to mind at the moment is the story of a woman called kia Sher who i met in florida and kia is you know she's, she's delightful five foot one very gentle lovely warm smile um extremely warm presence and I sat down with her in her father's living room in Florida Dan, and asked about her story. And her husband Alan and her 13-year-old daughter Naomi had gone over to Mumbai on a meditation retreat. And Kia had stayed at home with her mum to look after her mum because her mother was ill. And on the Wednesday afternoon, she's making tea. They were going to sit down and watch Oprah Winfrey on the TV, and Kia received a call from Mumbai, and it was one of the other people on the meditation retreat and this woman simply screamed down the phone and said terrorists have taken over the hotel turn on CNN and watch the news and the phone went dead wow. and so Kia says she dropped to her knees in that moment and she spent the next two days just watching for any news trying to make contact with the Oberoi Hotel where Alan and Naomi were staying and not being able to get any meaningful news of of whether they had survived the attacks until Friday afternoon and she was told that both Alan and Naomi had been murdered in the terrorist attacks Wow. and she, um she first of all said I mean clearly and, and the thing we found in common with all the Thrivers is that you are in deep pain you have to sit with that pain you have to process the grief you know there's no there's no use trying to thrive too quickly, there's the acceptance and the validation process that, that she has to go through, but you know, even as soon as two to three weeks after the news, she was asked to attend a press conference that was being held by the company that had arranged the meditation treat, and she said even by then she felt very calm and quite accepting of what happened, I mean, mired in grief but very calm and very accepting and at that point, she said that that was because for years before this incident, she had been very careful about how she spoke to herself. So she was very mindfully compassionate in herself. She meditated most days. She regularly took balance breaks. So, you know, just taking two or three minutes out to count to 10, to breathe deeply, she would two or three times a week, take herself out for a walk. So she was very, very connected to herself yeah. and her own needs. And she said, if I hadn't been like that, I would have, I would have died too, in a sense, you know, my life would have been over. And then she went to this press conference and one of the journalists in the conference asked her how she could ever forgive the terrorist who had murdered her husband and daughter. And, you know, she, she said, these weren't the actual words that she used, but this was the sentiment. What she said to the journalists, the hordes of the journalists gathered in the room was this, that there was nothing to forgive because the terrorists had been doing the best they could with the thinking they had at the yes. time. Yeah. Now, she wasn't condoning what had happened, but she was, she was explaining to the journalists that these terrorists, these young men, had been radicalized. And so in light of their thinking, this seemed very logical to them. And she, she told me that, that she had to see it that way because she, otherwise she would be consumed by bitterness and resentment. And she didn't want her husband and daughter's lives to be about that. But looking it right back to self-care, she knew right in the middle of all of this, she said, I had to believe I mattered, that I and my life had to go on. And that really began in those days of the darkest grief with knowing that I mattered even though I'd lost the dearest people in my life and forcing myself to continue with the rituals like going out, like meeting people, like sleeping as much as I needed, like talking to myself compassionately. You know, if I was hurting to sit with the heart, and um, she is a huge inspiration to me Russell because I think if she can think that and um, have so much attention on her own needs in that situation then I can do it with my weekly work and I can do it with all of the obligations that I face.
0: I think that's that's fascinating and we in our own model talk about this idea that you have to build capacity in the good times to be able to have mm-hmm. the resilience you need in the times when you need to 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 be able to you know weather the storm of life whatever is thrown at you and I think it's And I don't think people consciously or mindfully enough really think about that capacity building, think about that self-care. As you said, take a breath, learn those ways of thinking, because they're not not usual ways of thinking about the world. So you really have to ingrain them in the good times so you are ready. And, And I find that fascinating. And It's an interesting, it's an interesting um, sort of mindset about thinking about those people in that way, because we do have a tendency to sort of blame, blame the end point, don't we? We talk about millennials as being, you know, people who are not resilient, they've got not, they're not capable of doing this, that and the other, but they've never been brought up to. And we certainly sort of judge the people who's, who've had to live through a context as being somehow the, the perpetrators of what's bad against us, rather than, seeing the context in which those people exist Mm -hmm. so yeah and that's that's a very relatable story isn't
1: it i think so and that's why i i love this journey because so many of us haven't faced the worst ordeal and so we view resilience from a fairly restricted prism and or through a fairly restricted lens um, until we are hit and so we don't in a sense see the benefits of building in the capacity and the rituals that allow us to be our best self mm. and this work for me is very much about thriving in the day-to-day because most people are just surviving they're just getting by and yes. so they don't have that capacity you say when tough times hit
0: so that's right that's a brilliant strategy if that's strategy number one you've got another eight like that that's brilliant Could <laughs> you, you pick another one
1: out for us that would be uh, yeah think. so i mean very happily of course and and if i may illustrate it with a story too because this for me these 50 stories these 50 thriving stories they, they very much are the building blocks to, to inspire and illustrate how we can develop these rituals and so the, the, another one of the, the nine secrets that I would choose is this idea, apparently obvious, that we can choose our response yes. to every situation. And you know, that's why my work is all called Choose to Thrive, because ultimately what I now know deep in my heart, having been on this journey, is that thriving is a choice. We might need some support to make that choice and so on, but ultimately it's a choice. So this idea, all of the thrivers talked about, you've got to be very clear and mindful that you are making a choice in every situation, large and small, about how it is you're going to respond. Because that is the first step to taking back control. In that situation mm-hmm. and there are a number of practices that the survivors spoke about under this particular head and if i can tell a story of a really delightful human being called joseph Ubelkast, who is dutch and, and i went uh, over to the netherlands to interview him and he's got this sort of broad smile big white teeth and boundless energy and when joseph was 23, 24 years old, he set up his own IT company, his father was Moroccan, and he went off to Morocco, he was bilingual, Dutch and French, and he went off to Morocco um, as an IT consultant working for this Dutch company that had offices in Morocco, and then one morning he turned up at one of the offices to find gun-wielding customs officers in the car park at the back, and one of the officers hustled them into the car park and throws open the door of this white transit van and, and shows Joseph that the van is stacked floor to ceiling with drugs. And there are 8,000 kilograms of drugs in this van alone. Mm-hmm. And the next thing Joseph knows, he's, he's in the police cell. And he's this was the 23rd of December this happened. He's told, you'll be home for Christmas. But of course, Christmas comes and goes. And within a couple of weeks, he gets news through from the commander of the police, temporary prison he's in to say that he has been sentenced to 10 years in a Moroccan jail for drug smuggling.
0: Wow.
1: And that the basis of the, the the conviction was that the judge had apparently looked at his passport. There had been um, 17 stamps coming in, 10 stamps going out on his passport, and therefore he'd been leaving, allegedly leaving the country illegally. And Joseph said, but that's not true. And his mother, who who was in the Netherlands, tried much harder to get Dutch authorities involved. And sure enough, on the passport, there were 11 stamps coming in, 10 stamps going out, exactly the right amount for a man who's not yet left the country. And so an appeal was lodged, and Joseph was present at the appeal, and it was conducted in Arabic. But um, the judge at the appeal said, I I uphold your grounds of appeal. Um, You're right about the stamps in your passport. But what I... What I don't uphold is that your sentence should be reduced or vacated. So you are still sentenced to ten years in the Moroccan jail. Hmm. And 24-year-old Joseph is standing, listening to this, and he said to me, "You know, Emma, my my world just fell apart. You know, I, I knew I'd already been in the Moroccan jail. I know what they're like. They're called sardine cans. You know, they're 20 inmates per cell. They have to lie head to toe with cockroaches and rats and 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 they get, you know, non nutritious meals fed to them. And I mean, it's just an assault on your dignity. But he said, even though my world was falling apart, at the time I knew, I still knew that the one thing I had was choice. The one thing I had was to be able to decide that they would not take my dignity away. Mm -hmm. And I made that decision, I made that choice as I was being told that I was going to um, be sentenced to 10 years for a crime I didn't commit. And he is my, you know, my poster boy for choice, personally, on a personal level, because I think if Joseph can, in that moment, have the presence of mind to say, the one thing that no one can take away is choice, it's the one thing we can control, to then I can choose my response when I get a difficult email to deal with or when I'm faced with behaviour that I find particularly challenging. Yeah. But I, I can hang on to that that idea of choice. And, and, and every single one of the thrivers identified that too.
0: And it's, a, it's one of the challenges in resilience, isn't it, to, to help people understand that if they don't think they can make that choice, they've already made a choice not to be resilient. Uh, right. and, not, and not to thrive. So it's equally, it's the same amount of effort to choose one thing as another. So why would you choose to fail? And and it's because we use people get very bent out of shape about the language we use and accountability terms and adult terms that we we lose this ability to have a sort of a grown up conversation with people about not just that they can make a choice but how to make that choice. Mm. That's one of the critical things here, isn't
1: it? It is, and and that's why I think the stories are so powerful. But sure. I think with someone like Joseph and I've got you know another 48 stories I could tell yeah. tell you straight the point but with someone like Joseph that I think hopefully that would take our heads out of our own situation and all those stories we tell ourselves about well it's not my fault and they shouldn't have done that you know those things that prevent us from taking responsibility from being accountable are the stories about why this shouldn't have happened and I think when you get such a startling story as that I find it arresting personally yes and it's able to put my own challenges in context and to inspire me to really understand what choice is but inspire me to choose too. yes you're
0: absolutely you're absolutely right and the, and the two and of course those two things come together don't we 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 choose to to look after ourselves we choose to manage our you know, the next thought we have. And I think it's, it's, the, it's the root of the human condition, you know, to people say, well, you know, I don't want to lose my independence. And really, people's real independence is the ability to make a choice. And, um, and if you give that away, which, of course, some people do, then, you know, you're sort of giving away a part of the human spirit, in a way, or the human condition.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you're giving away yourself, and you're giving away the promise of a better future.
0: Yeah. And, and of course, some people have been brought up to believe that is the way. And um, and that's why my point about you have to learn how, because of course some people have been disempowered so radically that, um, and, you know, I deal with people who have have had the sort of stuffing knocked out of them from a very early age. And they genuinely don't believe they have a choice. And um, it's not for want of trying or believing or hoping it's actually from the skill bit of knowing actually how you how you change your mind and i think um it's one of the biggest challenges isn't it
1: it is and and the you know when i talk about this work it's i i have asked when i sat with these drivers well give me the practical strategies that you use what were the things that you actually did that i could do too or the readers could do too and you know the the book is just brimming with all of these practical strategies because you're right you know you can understand it at an esoteric or an intellectual level but that will do nothing until you know well what's the first thing that I can actually change or do in my life right now and it's that first thing and the dividends that that pays out that will be the most important step in the path towards feeling what that choice looks feeling what that choice feels like yes. um yes. and how you do it
0: and so for people who'd like so is the is the next book all about the thrivers is that the idea is it that, is
1: yeah uh-huh. so the next yeah the next book's called choose to thrive and and in that book i tell the stories of the thrivers i talk about the nine secrets and with each secret there are maybe six or seven practices that the Thrivers told me about. So self-care there are six or seven actual practices that we could apply immediately, as well as the six or seven stories that I tell to illustrate the practices.
0: Fascinating and so if people want to find out more Emma, where would they go and have a look at for this book?
1: Well the book is out in May and Audible I'm a big fan of Audible as it happens, but they are the publishers of this book. Um, so they have exclusive rights to it as an audio book for the first year. Ooh. So it will be available. Yeah, but the really exciting thing also, I'm hugely excited about this, is that in the book, I actually pull out some of the extracts from the interviews. So for 30 of the Thriver interviews, there are extracts in the book, and Audible are arranging for the 30 Thrivers to hopefully fly to London to speak their part in the book. Brilliant. And so it it won't just be my voice, um, I'm the narrator of the book, um, but we're actually going to hear from the Thrivers themselves. So that's hugely exciting.
0: It does. It's a really good way to make use of that sort of medium, isn't it? It's very clever. I like that idea.
1: Yeah, it's really clever. And I think... You know, when you hear the Thrivers in their own voice, because I obviously have done and I've, I've shared shared the air with them, uh, it, you know, there's just something so compelling, it's so, so key uh, about hearing them in their own hearing it in their own voice.
0: Yeah, and so your website is emmajbell.com, is that right?
1: That's right, Emma J for Judge, so that's not what it stands for. <laughs> emmajbell.com. <laughs> dot com.
0: And on there, you said we'd be able to access your fantastic free book um your sorry your first book free of charge and so i've actually been um as you've been chatting you you probably noticed me dropping somewhere halfway through it was my mouse when i was looking at your website going blimey that looks really great so um having had a look at it myself i think actually people would be mad if they didn't have a look at that because it's really fascinating and and i think it would make a, a nice companion obviously a good companion piece of the second book and um, I think that's absolutely fascinating um, right so com 50 thrivers and the new book in, out in May 2020 will be remind me again Emma, Emma? It, it
1: will be called choose to thrive nine secrets to uncover your inner resilience fantastic
0: thank you so much for spending time with us today I really really enjoyed it actually and uh, having heard of you um, from, um, from all sorts of different places um, you know, it's been an absolute joy to spend some time with you today
1: It's been such a pleasure to share the stories to some of the survivors Russell. thank you for the opportunity
0: No, that's brilliant thank you so much and you take care Thanks for listening today. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash podcasts and subscribe to hear other titles in our series. Or you can contact us at info at qedod.com to hear and find out more about tough love, leadership, accountability, resilience and burnout. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash burnout2019 to hear and get access to a load of resources to help you manage and fight Burnout, and you can go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook to hear more about the fundamentals of resilience until the next episode keep on thriving